Illusions Beauty by Carol Elena Aronoff. Hugging the tree stump like Hera's children, they wear the green silk, pink and lavender velvet of maypole ribbons. Adorning Earth's shoulders, they bear early summer gifts. I cannot walk by without catching my breath. When all else fails, when world's shadow seems too close, too real, there is always beauty. Always. I can find it in the dark by touch, just the other side of fear. The fragrance of tuberose on a bar of soap, the color and texture of rust on cast iron. Beauty knows no borders. The bruised apple fallen on the ground, lovely sight to a deer. The transparent skin shed by a garden snake. The blue waterway of an old woman's hands. A discarded gun, even a bomb to the bomb maker. My preference for flowers, talisman for universal peace, for earthworms and chameleons, for kindness and the softness of sea spray is part of my dream. Insubstantial as a night rainbow, yet vivid. A beautiful illusion. Jacqueline DeAngelis Under the Valencia tree, invisible to Moselle's family celebration. I know what it means to be in a generational kitchen. The whirl of open wounds, variety of snacks, all bound by repetition of cells and habit. The night absorbs 10 o'clock news, melody, some hammering. This is summer, which explains everything. Tomatoes blush, plums drop into palms, hard pears shape into women who could spur the dogs. The pale city world is curbside for young men, Brown beer bottles cool in hand, their intermittent roars fill the long envelope of night, as if wild roses still bud from this wasted terrain. Wind juggles the oranges above me, the evening passenger train, soundtrack of longing, runs the length of scars bound north. Moselle's family folds in, each to their familiar bed, each to hear another's dreams. The First Fold The first fold is critical. It instructs all that follow. It teaches the paper where to crease, skin where to wrinkle, bending leaf around stem, lava on lava, sleeve to chest. It is the map within the map, the wing that sails the plane. The first fold contains promise, warm dough pressed back on itself, crimped note passed hand to hand, cool air embracing bladed fan, petal arranging the seduction of the hummingbird. Lifeline on the palm's flesh, an indelible inscription, 
For the flag, it is a lesson in the language of death. The first fold is memory, recalling how to unfurl. I unlocked my parents' room last week, and the scent of trapped sun and linen embraced me like an old friend, speaking in whispers of days that seemed like dreams. Weekday afternoons, starched collars smudged with sweat, mother picking me up from school, crackers dipped in father's tea. It's never been the same since I started brewing my own. There was the bed, curtains, bookshelves, stains on the walls painted over, unread magazines piled on a red chair. I've heard of magic trunks that contain entire worlds, of wardrobes that hold doorways to eternal spring. How do you pack a scent and take it through customs, wormholes or time machines? I asked the movers, but they were busy with the boxes. The orange tree. The concrete jungle shines and gleams all around shiny glass beams. And amid this dusty shimmering sea stands a lone orange tree. The fragrant flowers silently blooms, seeking the warmth from the sun that looms. The birds have left and stopped their calls. It is quiet, not a sound falls. The very traveller sits beneath, seeking the cool underneath, touching the smooth, fragile bark, dreaming of some sparrow or maybe a lark. Perhaps he dreams of a wasted love, escaped like a frightened dove, or some happy memory that from him has become free. This gentle haven amid the fire, a place to commune and retire, and all around lovers come this vision to see and feel the enchantment under the orange Places, too. Places are inconsequential. They merely foster false notions of to belong. Sometimes it's all the same materials put together in different ways. Sometimes it's different materials put together in different ways. But places are created by the long and short strides taken down alleyways late at night. Snapshots of exhilaration and doubt mist together to fuel your perception of the surroundings, but you carry the fog with you. Describe memories to yourself as though they actually happened because you're sure they did, they must have. But the place you're describing never existed. It's here now in your thoughts, but that place isn't a place to go to or come back from. That doesn't make it wrong, but eventually its usefulness runs its course. Leave the notion of place as place. Place is merely a placeholder for what happens when all surrounding and done is evaluated as a whole. What's so special about seeing many different places? What's so special about staying in one place forever, watching details erode like the slowest stars in the sky? But then how do you let go of a place when everything that happened happened there? when they could have happened somewhere else exactly the same or entirely different. 
when that place is the only remaining evidence of what happened in an instant, lost among absent fingertips and trips to the bathroom. Letting go of a place is in a sense impossible because one always has to be in a place. You're thrust into it, it surrounds you. One way to avoid exposure is to be in a place within a place, but that only helps so much. But it's just a place. There are other places to go. There are other places to make it into. Turn rose-colored glasses into bifocals. Turn every corner until being lost becomes an absurdity. Then try your hardest to lose yourself again. Turn the page on the chapter on periodization and begin folding. Turn over new leaves at old graves. Turn until you're dizzy. Then go the other way. Searching for home, a poem. Like snowflakes, silence settles on my soul and coats everything in chilling coldness. Here, light like darkness harbors terror. White is a lonely color and the sun has no warmth. Every day, sadness sends me off into a mouthless morning with a kiss on my forehead. At night, delirious, I search shadows for company. In the mirror, a stranger waves at me and I wave back. It is strange how a drop of sound can ignite fire in a soul. The sound of home across the Atlantic is like fireworks on a starlit summer night. Home is a big-bosomed Mediterranean woman, capricious and shawlish, and yet all that is gold and pure. From afar, she is a belle, blotches covered with nostalgia, vileness hidden from view. Through the lens of distance, her features are beguiling. Home is a leftover dish dumped in memory's dumpster. Like a scavenger, I am searching in the dumpster for home. She might be God. She might be a ballerina in her old denim, floating, or perhaps an apprentice Amazon, fighting or giggling with little friends in dresses, laughing or moaning with the hurt of a scrape. She could be everything dreams made her to be, or again learning her trade with a quill, become or change as she walks and slowly turns or stay in a pose puzzling to even space. She would guess a journey to continue on, always or maybe imagine in her heavy boots, never or perchance to fly on the back of a steed, sometime or at last to travel in her breast to infinity. She is, in truth, with her wand more than a friend. Apparition or dawn she guides strings, winds and percussion, or she writes on eternal walls a code of her creation, or making worlds she exhales lives in a mere sigh. She might be God as she glides into another day, in elegance or a glowing robe refreshing to the stars, with her scent or everlasting births given to angels. Inside the palace or a shack, she might be God after all. This poem was inspired by a painting by Andrew Wyeth, Wind from the Sea, 1947. Breathing in the Sea A visitor once ran from this room, thought she saw a ghost. I admit, these frail lace curtains take on a life of their own, but I believe people carry their own ghosts with them. Been here all my life and never seen one.
Everything about this house is spectral gray. New drapes would only make the walls cry out for paint. I'm content to live in the past. The fluttering flowers and birds are right pretty. Grandmother Hawthorne made them. Maybe she figured they were as close as I'd ever come to a bridal veil. We redo to make do in this house. Sometimes I take a nap up here, watch the curtains billowing until they lull me to sleep. Don't they look like frothy sea foam? Muslin would snap like sails. The sea breathes right through the lace. Taking forever, one day at a time. I love the way you return from errands with a present, a Danish book or bottle of champagne. How you thank me for every meal, from coco vin to a ham sandwich, and make co-workers think I'm Julia Child. Hearing your voice in conversation downstairs before realizing that you're talking to the cats in the same serious tone you use with plumbers. How you told me I was funny long before anyone else did. That time in France when I said our waiter looked like Orlando Bloom and you answered, then we'll have to come back tomorrow. The fun of reading a book you've just finished and finding, oops, duh, or what a jerk, penciled in the margin. The way you reach for my hand before crossing the street. How you describe every dark-eyed brunette. She looks like you, no matter how silver I go. No wonder 40 years have sneaked by. The floor is lava and clouds are candy floss. The ocean is ankle deep if you only wade three steps in. You can sail across the sky in a week and still be home by sunset. I am in love with flight but terrified of the space between breaths. Isn't it funny how we choose to romanticize our fears? Jade says cowardice is courage if you close your eyes and I am almost inclined to believe her. The sun glows behind my eyelids when I do, and if I listen carefully, the wind seems to stop when I stop breathing. I learned about the impossibilities of rationale when I was six, and tumbled head over heels over a skateboard down a hill. I never told anyone before, but I wished I wasn't awake for it, spinning endlessly, aimlessly enough to spiral into adulthood without the fear of growing up. I bet that's how Alice felt when she fell down the rabbit hole, swallowed in the depths of the earth. How would it feel to swell in your own body and without knowing how much you're capable of? How long would it take for you to eclipse the sun until you stopped knowing and the light is all you can see? How long until you'll never know the difference between the present and the future? The future beckons me down the rabbit hole and suddenly I can see the stars again as they lead me to the sky. Blue Vase by Rosemary Ivana Garcia Slim Silk Hourglass neck, brush strokes of midnight blue. She is a cool, clandestine walk on sand, ocean waves in silver moonlight. The jealous rain in its cerulean sheen, its transparency, stares through a window, 
beyond an overcast living room, beyond a tan Persian carpet, to the mantle, to white Asiatic lilies in piano hands, to the blueness of a long neck, a full mouth, deep curves. Your Middle Name by Samantha Lamflin. Eleven years have lapsed since you last set foot in that classroom. You didn't take ceramics until your senior year. You had spent your first three years tackling all of your AP classes, already diligently working on a CV that would impress future bosses. You didn't know you would finally find peace after an entire adolescence defined by anxiety behind the potter's wheel, your hands coated in clay, your right leg kick, kick, kicking. Mr. Briggs had a reputation for being the school's most lovable asshole. When the girls who sat next to you arrived three minutes after the bell on the third day of the semester, he made them walk a large trash can full of discarded clay around the track twice. The rest of the class laughed as they watched from two stories above. He'd always had that sadistic streak your uncle told you over the phone, but he was his absolute favorite teacher in high school. Mr. Briggs seemed different somehow, though, with you. He teased you when your pinch pots were uneven, but there was a hint of something else underneath. Kindness, you thought at the time. He'd pull the clay from your hands, twist and turn it in his own for a minute or two, and return it to you, smooth and perfect and round. Later, he began calling you by a shortened version of your middle name when he was close enough for others not to hear, a secret he learned from his attendance sheet. When you decided to restart your midterm project from scratch, he invited you to come in during zero period if you didn't mind listening along as he played his classic rock albums, of course. You didn't mind. So you showed up at 6.45 the next morning, working at the wheel as he drank from a thermos, reading the newspaper. Harry Nelson sang about troubles and teacups, whales floating to the bottom of the ocean and decomposing. And you came in early again the next morning, continued spinning the wheel. He had asked you some questions about yourself. What colleges did you apply to? Which part of town did you live in? What music did you like? He teased you for having the bad taste typical of a young person. Called you by that shortened version of your middle name as he mocked you with a smirk. The morning became your favorite part of the day. He continued to ask you questions about your after-school job at the drive-thru, the boy you thought you had a crush on who worked there too, your parents who didn't understand you, your best friend who sometimes understood you, but not always, not quite. You told him things nobody else knew or would ever know, the ways you hurt yourself, your guesses as to why. Your heart raced in bed. You tried to count sheep, but you could only imagine his mouth making the shapes of your middle name. Even after you had been coming in early for a couple weeks, you still felt electricity in your veins and a lightness in your head when you climbed the stairs to his classroom before sunrise. You'll always remember that morning. It was a Tuesday. You remember because when you'd arrived on Monday morning, the door had been locked. Later in third period, a disheveled substitute barely acknowledged the class, hiding his hangover behind the computer monitor the whole hour. Worst case scenarios flooded your mind. A horrible car accident, his body melted with hot metal, a stroke or an aneurysm, his head face down in a bowl of oatmeal. Your entire day was commanded by those visions. That next morning, you arrived a few minutes later than usual. You had stalled a bit on purpose. In your mind, you were giving him extra time. Who knows what for? The door was unlocked. You walked in, placed your bag below the bench where you'd sit later in third period. 
He looked up from the newspaper and smirked. Using the shortened version of your middle name, he asked if you had missed him. You told him you had. You even admitted that you'd been worried. Your relief made you honest, the same way too much vodka would months later at your first college party. You gathered your clay, got settled behind your wheel, started kicking and spinning and sculpting. That morning, Stevie Nicks sang about thunder and rain, the precise conditions required for players to love you. You lost yourself in that rhythm, in your own dreams. You didn't see him approach, but suddenly he was kneeling there next to you. He stopped your ankle mid-kick with his open hand. You turned startled and met his eyes. From this close, it was easier to see how much older he was than you, impossible to ignore. The decades were right there on his face. To this day, you still think you kissed back, an equal participant even that first time. But there were even more mornings, a whole semester's worth of mornings until that day in June when you graduated and he retired and you never saw him again. You drove by his house once that summer, found the address online and made the hour trip one afternoon. You wanted to see what his wife looked like and hopefully catch one last glimpse of him. You drove home disappointed. You weren't ready for it to be over. You still thought you were in love. That feeling lasted a while, much longer than you'd ever admit to any of your future therapists. Semester upon semester stacked and then years passed. Even now, you still think you might have been in love. And you still want to believe that you were the only one he ever called by her middle name.